Christmas season. So let's continue just to take a moment to come into our hearts this morning to find the still point inside you, the still point in your turning world and in the turning world. And just take stock of where you are, how you are this morning, who you have around you, who you don't have with you, that perhaps you wish you did. And notice whether your heart feels a sense of lack and scarcity or whether it feels a sense of abundance, maybe something in between. And for those of us in America celebrating Mother's Day today, bring to your mind your own mother. Find an appreciation and gratitude and love for her, for the life that she gave you for whatever gifts that she passed on to you. Feel her essence inside you. And just give thanks for whatever goodness that you can glean from her life. And so with a sense of our own groundedness and our, an awareness of our place in the world, individually and collectively, let's say together with open hearts and with expectant hearts. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Heather. And I think today I can say hello, Mum, in England, which is nice to be able to say. <laughs> Once a year I can say that. So, um, this is the second in a series that I'm doing um, on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus' main wisdom teaching from the Bible. And last week I spoke about the first of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I said that you know, in total the Beatitudes are a description of the character of someone who's steeped in the teachings of Jesus. Blessed really means fortunate, as in Fortunate are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I said that that first of the Beatitudes was really saying, fortunate are those who do not think they know. They're poor in spirit because they don't assume that they know, because they will see that heaven is really this world clearly seen. So the starting point of the sermon is really getting enlightened. In the very first verse, Jesus spells out what the Buddhists and the Taoists and the Hindu scriptures aim for, that emptiness of the mind that allows us to realize that reality is the eternal now. Letting go of all our thoughts to realize the universal mind that exists for us in all experience. Jesus might have ended on that note, you know, three chapters about how to be amazing, and so this is how you get enlightened. But he began with it. He says, unknowing everything, 
unknow everything you have and then hear what I have to say as in the cloud of unknowing, not knowing being the precursor to be able to hear about the nature of the universe. When we don't try to know, we're left with what is. And so he moves on to the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's really going straight to the what is aspect, the difficulty and the suffering that's in life. There's a lovely quote from the book, uh, The Good Heart by uh, the Dalai Lama. And he says, he's specifically talking about um, this passage. And he says, this passage seems to indicate the simple fact that those who are willing to embark on a path and accept the hardships and the pain involved in it will reap the rewards of commitment. He says, when we speak of tolerance that demands that you accept the the fact of hardships, of pain and of suffering, we shouldn't have the erroneous notion that these spiritual teachings state that suffering is beautiful, that suffering is all we must seek. Needless to say, says the Dalai Lama, I do not subscribe to this view. Personally, I believe that the purpose of our existence is to seek happiness to seek a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. However, since we do experience hardship, pain and suffering, it's crucial that we develop an outlook towards them that allows us to deal realistically with these trials of life so that we may gain some benefit from them. He goes on to say, if we examine the nature of suffering, we find that there are certain types of suffering that are amenable to situations and can be overcome. Once we realize this, we can then seek the solution and the means to overcoming the suffering. But there are also other types of suffering that are inevitable and insurmountable. And in such cases, it's important to develop a state of mind that will allow us to deal with this suffering in a realistic way. By doing so, says the Dalai Lama, you may be able to accept these difficulties as they arise. Such an attitude will protect you, not necessarily from the physical reality of suffering, but from the unnecessary added psychological burden of struggling against suffering. And when you look at this passage in the Greek, blessed are those who mourn, um, the word for mourn is, in the Greek, is penentho, which means to bewail, to mourn, to go into mourning or lament. And of course, the question is, you know, what are we mourning? What's, what's the passage relating to? Following on from the first one, seeing life as it really is, this is really talking about the mourning, the absence of God that we have in our lives. It's talking about, you know, that that mourning of not having that divine nature, feeling that, not having that divine nature, the wailing for the true reality of that divine nature and our experience of the lack of it. You know, no matter how much we talk about being in the moment or being enlightened or not, the one thing that comes across clearly in our world is the absence of 
the experience of the presence of God in our lives. All the business, you know, the busyness that we're involved with, all the scheming, all the work that we do on ourselves is really our response to that lack. It's our mourning. It is as if a parent is missing and we're trying to compensate for that. It's interesting that you know, my father died when I was two. And one of the explanations that I have about the trajectory that I've taken in my life is one of trying to compensate for the lack of a father. And we see that in our experience of our lack of God. You know, as I really never experienced having a father, I actually never mourned for, for him. And to some extent, because many of us do not actually experience the full nature of divine reality, we don't mourn the lack of it. We just carry on as we are, thinking that everything is normal. And I did that in my life, never having had a father. I never knew what I was missing. I just did what I did without seeing that there might have been a lack that was driving my behavior. Many people just don't see the need for God. They've never missed the presence and therefore don't consider the impact of the lack. Hence, blessed are those who mourn because they are experiencing the lack that they have in their lives. They feel what they're missing and they bewail and they lament it. And it's the bewailing and the lamenting that leads us to seeking that reality and therefore developing our spiritual lives. And that follows in the second half of the stanza. Fortunate are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, it says. And the word used in the Greek here for comfort is parakleo, which actually means to call, to invite, to invoke by imploration or consolation. consolation. It literally means to call closer. The prefix para means beside, and the second part, kaleo, means to call, to summon, or invite. So it means to call beside. So you can see how the comforting thing is there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be called beside, presumably called beside God. But it also has the meaning, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be called. Blessed are those who bewail the lack of the presence of the divine, for they shall be called. As in they will have a calling or a vocation to drive them towards a relationship with God. So the first stanza of the Beatitude is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fortunate are those who realize that they don't know because then they'll be open to actually experiencing the true reality rather than a reality made up in their heads. And then into that true reality, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Fortunate are those who realize that there is an absence of the divine in their lives for they shall be called into developing a relationship with that divine. So the stanza is re referring to divine dissatisfaction. 
that divine dissatisfaction that drives us into the arms of God or the divine. And, you know, we all have that dissatisfaction. Many of us don't realize what it is. And through not realizing, they're driven into the arms of their career or a string of lovers or drink or drugs, you know, whatever their thing is. They have no awareness that this dissatisfaction can only be satisfied by a relationship with the truth. Going back to that quote I've used often before from B. Griffiths, he says, the intellect in and beyond every formulation by which it seeks to express its thought is in search of the absolute. The intellect is made for truth, for reality, and it cannot rest in any partial truth, in any construction of the human mind. It is always being carried beyond itself into ultimate truth. Divine dissatisfaction in the intellect being driven forward. And you know, when you realize that that's what you're looking for, what you're mourning is the lack of that fundamental truth in your life, then you experience that calling that leads you on the journey. And you know, all of us feel that lack. All of us are mourning for that presence in our lives. And yet we deny it because we think we're spiritual and shouldn't have it. You know, here I am, a priest. I shouldn't be experiencing the lack of God's presence. Or, and so we all of us try to cover it up. We bury it. We pretend it's not there. But in reality, it is that lack which is calling us and driving us on. It's the very thing that will take us into the presence of the divine. It'll inspire us into our practice. It'll inspire us to keep going. It'll enable us to have the energy to move forward. And of course, you know, I feel that like every day. And it's right that I feel it because it strengthens my calling into the presence. If I say that I'm fine and it doesn't matter and I shouldn't expect more, then I remove the one thing that will enable me to endure what I need to endure in order to fulfill my purpose in life, my role in relationship to that divine nature. When I acknowledge the lack, then I mourn, then I bewail, and then I'm called. And in being called, I have the energy that I need to carry on to the end. A couple of weeks ago, I quoted from Richard Back's book, Illusions, and he has a great quote on this. He says, here is a test to find out whether your mission on earth is finished. If you're alive, it isn't. We shouldn't settle for what we have. We should allow ourselves to be continually called through our divine dissatisfaction into action with and for the evolution of consciousness into that ultimate moment where all creation sees itself through the eyes of the creator, when we arrive together into the presence of the divine. And that's why Jesus says, fortunate are those who mourn God, for they shall be called into the presence of the divine. And at this time, you know, in our experience right now, with what's going on, 
At this time, we are having a moment that's giving us a real opportunity to look at what we want in our lives, what we're mourning for now. Are we mourning for the lack of air travel, the lack of business, the lack of busyness, the endless round of daily life that we used to have? I think not so much. What we're mourning is for touch. We're mourning for presence, for contact, for intimacy with those we love, for family, for our parents, for our children, for our friends. When we had all that in our lives, we mourned other things. We mourned lack of opportunity, bigger cars, better health, more money, more success. I think our mourning is different now. And the test will be the strength of our calling in that. Will we be called back to those old ways that we've lived our lives? Or will we be called into more whole and sustainable ways of living? In reality, what we are mourning is the connection with the divine. But I think that's too strong meat for our world. And just maybe they've seen that what we're mourning is not success or economic growth at all costs or power. You know, those things might not satisfy us. People might change what they're seeking. Maybe we can hope for more respect of others, particularly nurses and doctors and cleaners and grocery store workers, people that previously we just thought of as getting on with things, but now we just see the value of these people. Maybe we'll prioritize our environment more, our ability to get out and be in that environment. Maybe this is a time of mourning that will lead us to reconsider what we're being called towards. That's the hope anyway. So let's pray. And let's open ourselves to that mourning that we have. Mourning all over the world at the moment. Those mourning because they've lost loved ones. There's mourning because they've lost their health. Those of us mourning for a loss of freedom. And we do pray that we may be, all of us, called into a new way of living. We open our hearts to those who are working on the front lines, doctors and nurses, cleaners, grocery store workers, drivers, all those who are working to keep us safe and to keep us alive and uh, comfortable. We pray for those who are ill at the moment, struggling in hospitals, trying to get better. Pray for those who are helpless in this situation, people who are in prisons, people who are homeless, in war zones, in refugee camps, living in unjust regimes. We pray for leaders all around the world that they may open their hearts and have the compassion to put others first. 
to look at what's needed rather than what they want. We pray for our world that you may instill a sense of being and purpose and value in all of our lives that we may be called towards something greater and something new. And we pray for all those who been, we've been asked to pray for um, by our community. We particularly pray for Joan Downey, Connie Clancy's mother, recovering from hip surgery and a heart attack. For John from Clark's Pharmacy, who is recovering and hopes to be back at work soon. Rita Hunter, suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease. Heather Morrow, recovering from a brain injury at the Safer Learning Centre in Denver. Pray for Brett McKenzie, Jeff Bonds, Kevin Dalian, suffering from Lyme disease. Petra Krimmel, suffering from cancer. Marianne Boltz, Caroline Glaze, mother who's ill. Diane Shelton, Michael Waters' sister, undergoing chemotherapy. Jim Stark, diagnosed with stomach and esophageal cancer. The O'Keefe family. Christopher Gavitt with his autoimmune disease. Frankie Black, who has the virus and is now recovering at home. Ashley Morth, Heather Rydell's daughter, who's a doctor on the front line in an ER hospital at St. Joseph's uh, Hospital in Denver. And Kelly, Shelley Bogot's daughter, who's uh, working in the gynae, as a gynae doctor in New York City in the thick of things, sometimes at Elmhurst, the epicenter in New York. Of Chris Thompson suffering both mentally and physically from the virus. Of Bernie Tabor now in palliative care after treatment for occurring prostate cancer. And the Fox Rubin family still suffering from the virus. We do open ourselves and ask that your healing love goes to all these people. In Jesus' name, amen.